Welcome to the Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson & Johnson Cooperative Learning Institute. Welcome to Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast. With me, as always, is Derek Swistak. Hey, hey. And Aaron Fleming. Muy buenas, bienvenidos uh, a todos. A todos, indeed. And I am Adam Rubichek, and today... It's monumental. We are finishing our journey through the essential elements of cooperative learning. We started with positive interdependence. We got to individual accountability. We got to group processing, social skills. You've tolerated two weeks of face-to-face interaction. Now we are on our third and final episode of our mini-series on face-to-face interactions, where we're going to talk a little bit about the implementation in the classroom. And I think there is no better person to lead us in that discussion than somebody else that's not here. So instead, we'll go with Derek Swistak. <laughs> and you like, paid him. You paid him compliments the last two episodes too. I did, I did and that's what I get back. Um, I was going to say, if you really want somebody to, to talk about this, it's David Johnson, right? Like that's the guy to to, to lead this. But uh, I am a poor substitute, but I will be a substitute for David and. Um, so basically, you know, I think this is where it all starts. And we mentioned this on a previous podcast. This is kind of where it all starts for people is like, okay, I am not going to have my class in rows. I am going to be thoughtful and mindful of the space that I have. I'm going to be thoughtful and mindful of the furniture that I have. And maybe I even try to get some different furniture. And I think a lot of this um, sort of starts um, at the preschool level or at the very beginning levels where teachers that teach those classes really know how to utilize the spaces that are available to them. And as we get through into the upper uh, upper grades, we tend to forget that like it can look different and it can look different for different classes and that that's okay. Um, and that it might look different than the way that you learned it too. And that that's okay too. But really, this is where I think in in terms of an implementation, this is where it kind of starts is like you really, this is a big teacher decision and probably needs to be thought through and discussed, but is is pretty freeing um, in terms of the ability, once you have sort of the stuff off to the side and you're really getting into it as far as like kids sitting in proximity to one another Anytime that you're in proximity to somebody else and you're facing them, you're eventually going to want to have a conversation. Um, and, and you may need some guidance as to how to have that conversation. You may need to be reminded that this is a place where we want everybody to feel valued. We want everybody to feel safe. We want everybody to feel as though they are a person that is worthy of our trust um, and that that can be broken. So belonging cues tend to be a part of that. And that's where the social skill piece comes in. So you can't just rearrange your room and have a bunch of people sit together and expect that to work. Those other four pieces are really important in making that classroom environment as conducive, as efficient, as um, community as it possibly can be. So, um, Adam, you see a lot of different classrooms. What are some ways that teachers set up their classrooms in order to promote face-to-face interactions? 
I think one one of the you know simplest ways is just putting your desks by default in those groups of two, three, or four. And as, as we as we've talked about, depending on the geometry of your room, the space allocations, you know, this is this is a little more easy, a little more difficult. I, I think even having desks paired up side by side, but having students purposefully turn to talk to each other. And so making that a conscious effort to now I want you to turn your chairs and look at each other and not just do that parallel side by side. There's a lot of instances when even your desks are, your chairs are attached to your desks. We still see a lot of that. Um, you know, in cases like that, it's picking up and moving your, your chair. There are, there are so many ways that we can sort of move beyond the, the physical limitations that using that hallway creatively, taking our classes when the weather's good, let's take them outside and let's get away from the constraints of, of the room and the furniture. So um, you know, teacher, teachers will get creative if they see a benefit. You know, how many students don't like it when the teacher says, hey, we're having class outside. And we shouldn't do that just because it's a change of scenery, but really because we're going to learn better. We're going to work together better when we do that. I also think that there's, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, those big clunky desks you were talking about, Adam. If it's that, or an, Derek has even mentioned, if you're in a science lab and your your furniture won't move, you can you can always teach the students to physically turn and face someone. So there, there are ways around, you know, the the furniture piece. And the other thing I would even say, you know, in relation to kind of getting students, you know, up and moving, you know, maybe outside or in the hallway is just have students stand up in class and move around. Um, you can use, you know, there are so many activities out there that, that sync up with that, you know, standing up movement. Um, talking to different people, you know, across the entire classroom and not just a, you know, a fixed, you know, formal group of uh, two, three, you know, or four, but it's just a, you know, a quick informal, you know, real informal check-in, standing, moving around, getting that blood flowing. Yeah. And, and some of the other ways that teachers, you know, promote face-to-face -face interactions uh, to Aaron's point is having appointment clocks, having kids make appointments at the beginning of the year with different kids, um, with other students in the class. It takes some time, um, but you know, you roll a, you roll a 12 sided die and uh, you've got yourself a two o'clock partner, go stand up, go talk about what we just, uh, you know, summarize what we just talked, what we just sort of discussed in this five, five or 10 minutes. Um, you know, go find your four o'clock partner, go find, somebody that's up on the board and uh, talk about the lab that we're going to do today. What are we going to see? What are we going to hear? Um, what, what should we expect that's going to happen? Um, what kind of data do we need to take? Like having those discussions and having those quick little um, informal discussions is really important. There's also a lot of studies just about like mimicry. And like, if you think about the way that we first learn to interact with others, it's probably with our parents, specifically our, our mom, um, and and our you know, people smiling at us, and we learn that through mimicry. That's the same thing with adolescents um, or any age group. 
is that they're going to learn through mimicry. So it's it's really becomes more important than ever to talk about the looks like and sounds like and talk about how you know that you're keyed in and how other people are going to know that that you're a big part of their group and that they can rely on you for both safety and for for learning. Um, and, that, and those are really important pieces. Um, I, I oftentimes talk with students about why we're doing these face-to-face uh, -face interactions. And one of the reasons that, that I really believe is that a lot of us want to get to, we want our students to become more independent learners. And a lot of us were really good independent learners. But when you get to another level, you do need to form small groups to try to process materials and if you can start building those things as an independent learner, now you can start building in those positive interdependencies so that when you're in a small group like this podcast, you sort of know that you sink or swim together, that you can rely on one another. Each of us has our role. We know that we can look at each other. We know that we can trust one another. All of those pieces become a more important part, regardless of whether kids go to college, regardless of where they're going after this. They are an important, cohesive part of having discussion and learning from one another. And again, I'll bring up that we're coming out of uh, remote learning for, due to COVID at this time and you know, building those connections with, with each other, making those purposeful connections from student to student. Uh, making sure that students do know each other's names, that they are making eye contact. It's this face-to-face interaction is so closely related to social skills, but it really, but face-to-face -face really is the start of that. We are repairing the harm that was done, you know, to protect lives, but we 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 did harm uh, children and, and adults even, um, and so by so we can repair that harm by spending extra time focusing on rebuilding those relationships. Yeah, I was remarking on that today, actually. I was saying that the the last time that any of us were in a classroom with 30 children was back in February of 2020 or March of 2020. March 12th, 2020. Yeah, I mean, that is, that is a long time ago. And, um, you know, when we start back up here in August of 2021, it will have been a full year and a half. So even if you've been doing hybrid or you've been doing this sort of half and half, it's going to be a lot different. It's going to be a lot different. And it, and a lot of us can't remember what life was like um, back then. And a lot of kids are going to be pretty anxious and a lot of teachers are going to be pretty anxious about that. So as we move back into the classroom here in August, we need to make sure that, um, you know, a lot of us haven't been in a classroom with 30 other people. I know I haven't been in a classroom with 30 other people that's that size um, since since last March of 2020. And so almost a full year and a half of uh, not being able, not being in a classroom with that many people, it's going to take some adjustments. And so, um, but the more that we can help people through this and help people get back into sort of the swing of things. The, the better we're going to be able to make our learners and our communities. Yeah. And with that, I think uh, it's a good time to wrap it all up. And I have to say, uh, th thank you both, Derek and Aaron. This has been, um, it's been a lot of fun to, to talk to these essential elements, um, to just really kind of solidify our thinking on the basics of cooperative learning. And of course, this isn't the end. We've got, we've got a lot of interviews uh, planned. We've got some more um, some individual episodes, some more mini series about different aspects of cooperative learning. 
that are coming at you, but I feel like just getting this far and, and having a couple sustained months here of, of good cooperative learning talk, you know, sort of 10 to 15 minutes at a time has really kind of energized me and I'm excited. So thank you guys. Absolutely. Me too. Agreed. And until next week, let's cooperate. Thank you for listening to the Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson & Johnson Cooperative Learning Institute. Please check out the show notes for all relevant links, including a link to our Twitter account and the Cooperative Learning Institute webpage. This podcast is copyrighted under the Creative Commons license, copyright 2021. Theme music, courtesy of Jimmy Ryan. <laughs>